turn. Alright, take him. Take him. It's a nice buck. Take him. Heck yeah, buddy. Awesome shot. He's going down. Welcome to the Hunt and Fish Network podcast. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Hunt and Fish Network podcast. I'm your host, Ed Woolley, a.k.a. Mr. Mealy Tines. This is episode number three, and I got my good buddy, Mr. John Kessler from Colorado, who's an elk and hunting and fishing guide. So how goes it, Big John? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, dude. So uh, I hear your voice. Yeah, same to you, man. It's been a minute. Me and John, we... uh got the guide together for a year out in Colorado so that's kind of how I met John so just to start off man maybe you can take a few minutes and introduce yourself to the podcast followers yeah so uh, I'm John I'm in Gunnison Colorado so kind of southwest Colorado uh, yeah I'm a hunting and fishing guide my fishing business is called Elevation Angling and then I do all my hunting through an outfit called AEI up in Taylor Park and uh, yeah I'm stoked to be on the podcast man thanks for inviting me yeah man it's good to uh have you on so maybe first off kind of tell us how you got into uh the hunting and fishing stuff <laughs> yeah so uh i came here to western state colorado university well it was western state college back then but uh for a biology degree and so i have a degree in wildlife biology and i actually ended up working for the colorado parks and wildlife for two summers for the fisheries biologist here in town um, after I graduated. And I kind of decided long-term that was, you know, I was looking at another six years and a master's degree and that might've got me an interview. And that just wasn't what I wanted to do, um, you know, long-term sitting there just doing seasonal work. So I actually went back to Western, was working on a history degree because I thought I wanted to teach history. And uh, that summer between those two semesters, I did that, I worked at the marina here in town or here on the reservoir my buddy was the manager and he's like come work for me so I started working for him and well all the fishing guides were passing through and that was kind of a thought that had been in the back of my mind since like high school I said screw it I'm going for it so bought a boat and started my business the next year and I've been at it ever since heck yeah man that's awesome so what kind of what kind of fishing do you guys do you do well Just... I do pretty much everything um except for float trips so um any kind of trout yeah yeah um walkwade fly fishing you know the gunnison river here is really good for quality browns rainbows um through some of the other guys i contract with i've got access to brook trout streams cutthroat lakes stuff like that um and then on the reservoir it's been you know salmon is kind of the the big thing for a lot of people but that population's taken a bit of a dip with the the low water and stuff the last few years but um you know trophy lake trout there's a good population of yellow perch in there and then, of course, browns and rainbows, and you can kind of catch them doing a little bit of everything. I fly fish lake. Trolling is real popular. Um, jig for salmon in the late summer, troll for them in the spring, jig and troll for lake trout. Um, it's it's a blast. There's a lot of options, you know. Any given day, you can do pretty much anything if you find the right spot. That's awesome, dude. So what's probably your uh, funnest fish to fish for or guide for? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, brown trout or kind of the bread and butter you know for the river and whatnot salmon were great up until population took a dive because if you hit a good pot of salmon you could have five rods going and people screaming and jumping and 
just in, so much fun for the clients, especially, but I don't know, cutthroat or sweet, get a hike into some really cool spots, you know, get off the grid a little bit, see some new country and find some fish that don't see a fly very often. They'll, they'll eat pretty much anything. So that's a, that's always a blast. That's pretty cool, man. So for say, I'm just some John Doe guy. How does a guy get a hold of you to uh, come out and fish with you? Yeah, so my website is uh, elevationangling.com. It's got all my contact info there. Um, send me an email, send me a text, give me a call. Um, I'm on Instagram, same thing, in Elevation Angling and Facebook. You can send me messages there. I'll get back to you pretty quick. Um, farther out you can book, the better, just because they do stack up. And then if for whatever reason you want to hunt with me, go through uh, AEI Outfitter. And that's, uh, I don't even know what their website is off the top of my head, but I think it's just AEI Outfitter. Um, you can just throw that in Google. And if you book a trip with them, say you want to hunt with John. Heck yeah, man. So, uh, what's break us down some of your, uh, funnest fishing trips that you've ever been on. Maybe the, maybe the top three, uh, personal or with clients. Yeah. Either. Either. Oh man. I've had some days with like four or five kids on the boat. We just went out and sat on a perch school and it was, it was just mayhem, man. Like you got five kids reeling in fish at the same time, just boat flipping perch left and right. Parents are freaking out. I'm just trying to stay on top of things. It was, it's a blast. I've done that multiple times um, in the past. Uh, personally, I just got back from New Zealand a month and a half ago and was able to do some fly fishing down there. Um, I got a bunch of family down there, but man, those trout are like next level. I, I went down to the whitewater park here in town or just by my house the other day and I caught nine fish in like an hour. Down there, I caught five fish in a month just trying to fish by myself. I did get a guide the first day and he put me on some really nice fish, but it's like, it's next level. That's just, that's the big game of trout fishing right there. It's so much fun. Heck yeah, man. Maybe kind of uh, go through like a day. If someone guides it or someone books a trip with you, kind of go through like how the day goes. Like you, they get picked up in the morning, you go to the lake, you have lunch, so forth. Yeah. So for a lake trip, um, I just have them meet me at the dock. You know, I'll get the boat in the water, rods all ready and rigged to go. They just meet me on the dock. Um, we hop on the boat, motor out to wherever we're going. I'll drop the lines. Usually if we're tro trolling, I just, I kind of do everything so they can just sit back, relax, enjoy the scenery. Um, I'll get the lines in the water. And then ideally it's just reel in the fish. The boat trips are pretty laid back, um, pretty easy. I can do, you know, and I'll take clients like spin fishing and stuff too. Um, so we can get into some really cool spots on that reservoir. There's some, I don't want to call them back country, but I mean, there's a couple places you can really only access by boat. And so there's a lot less people there. It's the, the really cool old flooded canyons from the reservoir. Um, they're sweet to check out. Uh, a fly trip, you know, I just have you, I'll give you a pin, say, meet me here, you know, this kind of parking spot on the river, get them all rigged up, and then we'll wander on out, find a hole and start fishing and just kind of, you know, play it by ear from there, really. Just depends on what the fish are doing. You know, every day I got to kind of figure out, figure out the vibe of the river or the lake and, um, for the fly trips, uh, you know, we can cover some water. I've had some guys like, yo, <laughs> how much water are we covering? I've done a couple miles or a couple river miles, you know, at least in a day, just trying to get clients on fish. So, um, yeah, be ready for that. I, uh, I have a tendency to start walking if the fish aren't biting and find the new stuff. Um, 
but you know, I provide all the tackle, all the rods, reels, everything you need. You just got to show up with, you know, water bottle, backpack, rain jacket, and a fishing license. Really, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy on the on the clients. They just got to be ready to set the hook when I tell them to. Heck yeah! So, uh, what a airport or where would they fly into, and then where what little town or where would they be staying? Yeah, at? so um. Ideally stay in Gunnison. Um, Crested Butte's only 45 minutes away. A lot of clients stay there. Um, I've had clients down in Lake City, which is about an hour away. Um, Gunnison does have an airport, and then there's plenty of accommodation in Gunnison. Lots of campsites, lots of national forest campsites, lots of dispersed camping. You can kind of do whatever. You could stay really ritzy. You can stay at camping a tent on the side of the road if you really want, wanted to down here. It's a kind of do-all spot. It's pretty sweet. That's pretty cool. So how far... How far if they flew into Denver or one of the major airports? It's about a four-hour drive from Denver. Um, it's an hour from Montrose, two hours from Grand Junction. Um, and you can't fly into Gunnison, but it's it's pretty pricey. Heck yeah. Tell us tell us uh, a little bit about the hunting stuff that you uh, do. Yeah, so that's through uh, AEI Outfitter. And they're in Taylor Park, which is about 45 minutes north and east of Gunnison. Um, if people know where like Buena Vista is, it's on the west side of the, the range there on the other side of Cottonwood Pass from Buena Vista um, and then south of Aspen over Taylor Pass, just to kind of give people an idea. But it's just a it's a huge alpine basin um, with Taylor Reservoir in the middle of it. And it's sweet. It's a lot of dark timber, um, especially like archery muzzleloader season. You, we can end up into some really thick stuff or. Last year, I had clients, we were up sitting at 12,500 feet for like three weeks, just watching elk and trying to put a stock on them through the willows, like, you know, head high willows. So you're like crawling through these old elk tracks and trying to get close. It's a blast up there. And then uh, for mule deer, late season, second, third, well, third and fourth rifle. Uh, it's, we hunt this lower country down by Gunnison, all those deer move out of the high country. And so it's a, uh, I hate to say it's road hunting, but it is. You can cover a lot of country with all the BLM access roads. And so we just drive glass, drive glass, drive glass till you find that, you know, nice buck you're looking for and put a stock on them. Heck yeah. So maybe the, maybe the older hunter that can't really get around very much, they could do that late season. Deer yeah. Hunt. And, uh, and even archery and muzzleloader. So on the property where the lodge is, we've got, I think it's probably 1500 acres and I hope they're okay with me saying this. I don't see why not, but um, you know, for older guys and stuff, we've got a bunch of box stands on the property that guys can sit in. Um, and I mean, last year during archery season, we had 60 head of elk hanging out on the property. Um, so all the guides would take the, you know, the more ambulatory clients out and anybody that was, you know, hurting from altitude or pulled a hammy or something going up a hill, they could just go out and sit in a box stand on the property and, um hope the elk walked by and it worked out several times in the last few years like that heck yeah what uh is it otc for elk in that unit uh it's all draw for elk um through first rifle we don't do second rifle hunts just because of our forest service permits basically end above where they've already migrated to usually by second rifle they've kind of migrated out of our area so we don't do second rifle hunts um and then uh, and it, that would have been an OTC second and third or OTC for that unit. Um, and then our, uh, mule deer is all 
all draw and usually those are high point tags i mean like 10 to 20 point tags depending on in-state or out-of-state for third and fourth rifle for any of the units in gunnison nice so all all of your hunting takes place in gunnison yeah yeah Yeah. last time i guided out of gunnison was with you over by norwood yeah yep so what uh what's your take on this year for the uh did it get hit pretty hard in gunnison as far as weather yeah, so we had a lot of snow. I mean, I got a three-foot snow pile outside my front door still because it's just insane amount of snow. But, um, I mean, we had a fair bit of winter kill, but I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. Um, they went into it, like, really, really good shape, especially the females. You know, the, the running males are going to be skinny anyway. But um, the cow elk, my dad shot in second rifle. She was fat really fat and the even the buck i shot second rifle he was fat all the all the cow elk that got killed during first rifle were fat so you know they they had a lot of insurance policy ready to go for a hard winter and i think that benefited us hugely um i think we're gonna see a lot more animals die here in the next few weeks especially you know as they're trying to move back into the high country with you know it warming up down here and we got more snow coming tomorrow so just depends on the next few weeks really and we're going to lose a lot of um you know fawns and calves this year just because of the fact there's so much snow up there but everything that makes it is going to have a lot of food so i'm expecting decent antler growth on everything especially the bulls they should be pretty big should be pretty good did you guys yeah. did you guys feed at all in out in gunnison oh, this year no no there was no supplemental feeding yeah, that's that, that's been big here in northern Utah. Yeah, I heard you I, guys got smacked. Yeah, I think I think they waited just a little too late to feed them because all the damage I think was already done by the time they started feeding. Right. So, right. The only, the only thing I hope is with feeding that late and then getting them on that feed that they don't get used to that feed and not go back up and get the green and right. And right. I've heard and I've heard that feeding them can disrupt their belly or something when they get back on the yeah. green so yeah yeah I hope, we'll I hope, see i hope they don't we don't have another 40 percent get knocked out when they get back on the green and, and they reckon 40 percent already yeah so they, they they projected that it's 70 percent, but from what i've from what i've seen driving around i would only guess 50 to 55 which is still a lot that's a yeah, huge amount but yeah they're predicting close to 70 percent adult mortality up in up in northern utah where i'm at oh man that's awful and when they just did the recommendations they only cut like 20 percent over like eight different units so that's the problem we're gonna have here is they had to do tag recommendations like early march if that and then we had another month of snow and winter like plus with the the way our birds work they hang out like right on the road and there was a picture on the national park service website for kirkani national recreation area and it showed a dot truck with about 15 dead frozen deer stacked in it i was like are they i don't know if they're accounting for that or not so we'll see yeah it's been crazy man like now that the snow's all melting here in northern utah like my whole lawn's melted off now but i had some big drifts but yeah. now all the snow's melting off you drive down the road dude and it literally looks like a deer graveyard because they're just dead deer laying off side of the road everywhere so no yeah we it's not that bad here but man that's awful 
yeah my little boy's like dang dad why are all these deer dead i'm like hard winter man they couldn't find any food and bodies couldn't adjust to it and that's what happened yeah and i've had a lot i've had a lot of guys tell me that they think a lot of the cow elk have aborted their yeah uh, that's the other big thing is they might have just yeah aborted the fawns and calves just to save themselves yeah it's it's pretty wild it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting i uh talked to josie the other day and he said down there in unit 70 there hasn't been too too bad a winter kill he was thinking maybe below four percent so no yeah that's that's about average yeah Yeah. so yeah that's good to hear hopefully the snow melts pretty quick and gets that green stuff so they can start growing them yeah antlers so we can have a pretty yeah yeah it's getting warm pretty quick i mean it's been nice i've just been in my you know light t-shirts so yeah it was what 67 yesterday and then today it's the high is like 35 right here in northern yeah you're getting some weather yeah i think we're supposed to get the weather you're getting today tomorrow yeah i think idaho got i got a buddy up there that sent me a picture i think he got six to seven inches last night so I think I think the south part of Idaho is getting pretty hit hard too. Oh, but yeah, it'll be an interesting year. Yeah, I heard Wyoming over there in the Red Desert where all them big antelope usually hang out. I guess yeah. they got wiped pretty bad. I guess they cut the yeah hard just close. south of that in Colorado up there. That's they. I think probably I don't know. It's probably ten units. They already said that they're cutting tags by forty percent just because the antelope got smacked. Yeah, I seen that over there up up in the northwest corner. But yeah. Like, two and 10 and all them guys. Yep, exactly. And I was going to put in for a two tag this year because I have enough points. And I was like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, what's your thoughts on the, uh, whole wolf reintroduction up there in the Northwest? <laughs> um, oh man, that's a can of worms. So have you been paying attention to the, the Colorado stuff? Yeah. I mean, I seen where they just come out with those two bills that are trying to, kibosh reenacting them but reintroduce yeah um yeah part of that but the way so the the introduction zones um there's one basically they got two zones of where they can reintroduce them and it's like there's a 60 mile an air or 60 mile barrier it's got to be on the western slope and then it's got to be 60 miles from the borders and 60 miles from reservation land so that leaves like the vale valley roaring fork area and gunnison so and then their reintroduction uh plan is they're putting that's probably 15 wolves on the ground in the roaring fork valley by december of this year and then they're doing the same thing by december of next year right here in gunnison so do you think if it actually happens do you think all that all the wildlife from that northwest will start coming down or do you think they'll go towards the central Colorado over towards Gunnison over that way. Man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't know that area super well. I would, uh, I would be surprised if they come south. They'd have to go all the way. You know, they got to push through the Maroon Bells and all that towards Gunnison, which is not exactly uh, an easy route. If anything, they probably just go farther west um, into more open country, just where they can see them coming and get away from them easier. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's gonna suck. Yeah, it's gonna suck. Like that's all there is to it. In the in the grand scheme of things for hunters in Colorado, that's it's a net loss. Yeah, I seen a uh statistic from somebody from Idaho that said like 
the year they reintroduced them, it was like 19 wolves. And then like five years later, it grew to like 75. And like now they're, it's over like three or 400. Right. In yeah. Idaho. And, and basically like they, yeah, they're like, well, we'll put 15 on the ground this year. And then they're going to do whatever supplemental releases are as in, they're going to add, keep adding as needed, whatever that means um, to the population. And then currently in the management plan, it's got to, I don't remember exactly the threshold it's got to reach before Colorado can take over management, but just the way it's gone in other states, that's just open to litigation that's going to keep delaying and delaying. And then there's not even a lethal control in the system as of right now. And there's no funding for it on basically being able to pay ranchers, you know, for cattle and whatnot. So yeah. it's it's still super nebulous on what exactly is going to happen other than the CPW is forced to put wolves on the ground by the end of this year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do they have like funding in place? So if like a rancher has six cows get killed one night, I mean, how are they going to repay? Currently, from what I, where I'm at on the whole understanding, no, they're still trying to figure out both stage four which is state management, lethal control stuff, and figuring out how to fund the whole thing because they've been saying from the get-go that hunters are not paying for it. Well, hunters are going to have to pay for it because that's currently the only you know money they're getting is hunting and fishing licenses. And so it's kind of a, you know, are they lying to us or are we just in the dark on how they're actually going to fund stuff? Like it's, it's not a good position to be in. Yeah, no, it's it definitely sucks seeing they're wanting to reintroduce them to Colorado for sure. So, do you think after a couple of years they'll issue tags like Idaho has? No, I doubt it. Just the way this state is, um, you know, it's a lot more blue in terms of politics than Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana is, and so there's going to be a lot of resistance to lethal control lethal population management more so than in any of those states um mm-hmm. i think it's just going to open to litigation and you know saying hey we don't think that they're at numbers that need to be managed when it, it just comes back to the whole ballot box biology the cpw got shanghai into this they didn't want wolves like this got forced upon them and then it's just gonna their management is going to be hindered by people saying disagreeing with their numbers essentially yeah it's gonna be a while how long do you think it'll take for them to uh migrate into utah from right there in that northwest corner probably not too long i'd imagine you're not far out man (laughs) i'm surprised you're not you don't have wolves in utah as is because you know they're in idaho and wyoming right there up in the corner like the 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 ones that we have in colorado there's the that i know of there's someone by walden there in north park and then there's some you know north of craig and hayden area which is a hot skip and a jump from you guys there in utah yeah no i've i've heard some talks that some people have seen them i've just i've never I'm, seen I, one i wouldn't be surprised there's probably a few bopping around but whether or not you have a full-blown pack running around is up for debate yeah we have we have a lot of people say that they come down through wyoming right there i-80 down from evanston down through yeah. echo canyon right through there but one of our guides at a i reckon he saw one last year chasing herd elk around so i mean it's possible there's already a rogue couple just bopping around here yeah for sure 
so what what uh what's your favorite season to hunt in colorado oh that's a tough one um man i like those late mule deer seasons um but muzzleloader our uh elk muzzleloader is pretty sweet you know you can get in close and well you don't have to get super close because muzzleloader gives you a little bit of range but you still got bugling bulls running all over the place kind of the best of both worlds yeah yeah and i like how it's open site personally just because yeah um how colorado does it yeah it's got to be loose powder and open site what uh what are your thoughts on if the cpw did a spring bear hunt they can't that got legally same thing as wolves there was a uh referendum i don't know 20 years ago colorado banned the spring bear hunt that's yeah. why they're dishing out bear tags with elk tags like candy in the fall but whatever it is add-on tags that they're trying to bring bear numbers down because they got <laughs> our spring bear hunt got canned like the wolves got introduced <laughs> yeah yeah no i wish i wish they had that spring bear hunt back oh i'd be all over it that'd be sweet that'd be fun yeah that would be fun so uh what kind of class of deer and elk can people expect if they come to hunt with you guys um so our elk's an interesting one um it's kind of changed like the last two years um the the bulls have gotten bigger like and I think last summer was purely because it was a light winter and then a ridiculously wet summer. So, I mean, in the past, it would have been like, that's a legal bull, shoot it, you know, four points on one side. And this last year, it kind of came to like, let's think about this one. I know there's some bigger elk running around, you know, my second or sorry, first rifle guy got a nice six by six. Um, I think all four of the other hunters in camp killed at least five by fives um my guy muzzle loader two years ago killed the fourth biggest bull ever killed up there at 339 giant six by seven like and awesome. that thing stepped out and i was like do not miss like yeah. that is the biggest bull i've ever seen in this unit by far you're sitting there holding him by the shoulders so he doesn't shake well yeah and it was like we only got glimpses of it until we actually found the the elk we never saw the full thing but like he was coming up through the trees just grunting and roaring i'm like that's a you know just from the sound of it i was like that's a big elk and then like you could see bits of nose and antler and i'm like doing the pythagorean theorem from math class like okay that's a big <laughs> elk and it stepped out just enough and i could see his whole front half and his antler kept going back and i was like shoot him he's huge and then we finally found him and i was like counting points i'm like dude this is the biggest elk i've ever seen in this unit by far so it was sweet and in terms of mule deer um i mean you posted on instagram a while back four of your five best mule deer units in colorado gunnison right there in the both gunnison. for archery and rifle like 200 inch deer are not impossible i mean 180 is really relatively easy to do doable oh yeah and on these hunts are they five day hunts or do you do seven day yeah. hunts five day hunts yep five day hunts yep so they get in the night before start hunting five full days of hunting you, you take care of everything on the mountain and then haul their meat to the meat locker yeah so um for the, the elk hunting in taylor park we've have like a full-on lodge cabins and stuff that the clients stay in i've got a we've got guide cabins and whatnot big dining hall and then we have a full-on pack out crew so um we get an elk down i just get on the radio hey 
send in the pack out crew, four or five guys show up, pack it all out in one go. And then once we get it back to camp, we got a cooler clients can deal with, you know, whatever they want to there. And then there's a meat packer down or meat processor down in Gunnison. So they can just take it down there, get it processed and hang out the day it takes and roll on out if they want. Or, our, you know, if we finish up early and they've got their meat down there, I've taken clients fishing after hunts and whatnot. So how um, many, basically how, how many points does it take to uh, draw the elk tags? want to say two for out of state archery. Um, oh man, I just looked at this the other day. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's probably one or two for archery and three or four for muzzle loader, but I could be wrong. Um, first rifle is one point or two points for out of state. Um, should be one point for in state and then deer tags are, are pricey. I mean, even an in state third, fourth rifle deer tag, you're looking at at least 15, 16 points. Do you ever get any landowners, landowner tags by chance? Um, occasionally we can find a few in the valley. Just depends on um, the year because they kind of cycle through. Um, occasionally we'll get one for the property up there in Taylor Park, but it's not very common. It's probably every five years or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've latched on to, I usually sell probably 30 or 40 of those a year. Yeah. Get get in Sweet. tight with the landowners and then yeah. they ask me, hey, what seasons should I put in for? And then I just ask the guys that I know that want them, what season do you want? And last last year I had what one in 44, third season 44 tag. Ooh. Would have been a would have been a good tag to have, yeah. That would have been sweet. But that would have been sweet. What uh what about the fishing? Do you take care of all that stuff for them when you come off the lake? Yeah, so uh, especially on the lake stuff, because most of my fly fishing, actually all the fly fishing is just catch and release. But on the lake, yeah, we'll get back to the dock. they got a cool cleaning station there right by the dock. I'll get all your fish filleted up for you, bagged up, and you're ready to roll. And how many uh, days do those fishing deals go? Does it depend on if you do lake or backcountry? Just book them by the day. Um, I don't have any backcountry stuff really I can do right now, so they want to book multiple days in a row they're welcome to do that yeah you said it was elevationangling.com yes sir and you can get on instagram yeah i'm on instagram yep shoot him a dm on there if you want to get with him to book a fishing or hunting trip but uh yeah man appreciate you getting on the podcast today yeah absolutely thanks for having me